but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. A mere, what, four or five days after our last episode? Yeah, hiatus is done. <laughs> it's not like we took vacation or anything. We are able to be a little bit more grounded and centered in how we're covering the tennis now because we're not coming at it like midweek, trying to play catch up, whatever. We're a little bit ahead of the game here just to give some ideas to where we are in the tennis tours. The main action is happening in Madrid. The women started earlier in the week and the men began play today or yet or tomorrow. One, the draw just came out. And then elsewhere, Munich as well as Estoril are both at the final stage. In Estoril, Francis Tiafo is going to be playing Sebastian Baez, who I think is probably one of the more under the radar top 50 players in all of tennis. Mm -hmm. Francis saved three match points today against Sebastian Corda. The crowd in Portugal absolutely loves Francis. That helped him today. He's made a final there before. It's his fourth career ATP final, going for his second title. He's won four three-set matches. And then in Munich, site of... I'm just reporting what I've seen on Twitter here. I'm a Twitter reporter. Site of one of the most embarrassing home losses in the history of tennis, Alexander Zverev was beaten soundly by Holgerun, mm. who went on to make the final, and he'll play Botic van der Sanchel. Meanwhile, in Madrid, the bottom half of the women's draw is already at the round of 16 stage. And we're not going to go through like a whole, well, this is a state of the draw scenario, but those four matches that are already set for the round of 16 are kind of fire. Coco Gauff will play Simona Halep, Ange Jabeur plays Bencic, Anisimova against Azarenka, and Alexandrova against Boskova. Yeah, Halep, but also was supposed to be the blockbuster today, and, and Halep has just been in superb form and and dealt with Bedosa pretty easily. It's only Simona's third win over a top two player. Did you know that? I did not. That is... Absolutely uh, surprising. It is. A lot of losses to Are Serena. you sure this is correct? It is. Okay. Just, she was 2-15 and 15 against the top two. And, to, you know, to be fair, she was 1 or 2 ranked for a while. Uh, Quite a while. But those, uh, a lot of those losses were to Serena, but the wins were also over Serena. <laughs> Naomi Osaka is also in Madrid and... When I tell you she looked amazing in her first match, she's out here telling us that she's watching Nadal videos and taking notes. She played her <laughs> match point by stepping all the way around the backhand to rifle a forehand inside-out return before finishing the point at net. Anisimova gets her fourth win undefeated against Arena Sabalenka. Wins in three sets, wins another three-setter against Martic. On the men's side, the draw has created a lot of consternation. A lot of talk. Right. Well, Rafa is back from his uh, the stress fracture in his rib. 
and he's been practicing. Um, he got a tough draw. He drew Carlos in the quarterfinals, Novak in the semifinals, but like that Carlos Novak projected quarterfinal in where was it? In Barcelona. Monte Carlo or Monte Carlo? Monte Carlo. Yeah, Monte Carlo, which didn't happen. There's no guarantee that any of these matchups will actually happen. And I also think like the first tournament back and it's Madrid, it's not really the most indicative for a player's form going into Roland Garros. It's really not worth the stress. Who's stress? Fans. I mean, of course, you can stress about whatever you want, but I'm certainly not doing that. I'll see what you say should this tournament progress to form and we get that quarterfinal match and we get a deep third set. Yeah, I would like him to ease back into playing. I don't want a deep third set. Honestly, I'd rather see him lose than, than expend all this energy in Madrid. I'm not disagreeing with you, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying, should that happen, it will test your laissez-faire, blasé attitude about the whole thing. Okay. I feel like some stressors, some stress may enter the into the equation mm-hmm. for you. Murray and team are opening against each other in Madrid, so uh, it's an easy win for one of them. Not sure who. <laughs> Dominic team <laughs> has That was really mean. I'll take that back. I mean, you're just as likely to get a... L- long drawn out three set brawl with these two like fighting for a win (laughs) yeah dominic his first since his comeback and andy one of his first clay wins in forever he wasn't supposed to play this clay season and then that notification popped up in his email (laughs) and he couldn't not take the wild card Uh they said we don't care about fernando verdasco you're getting this wild card andy take it and we found out this week as we sus- oh, as I suspected, I told y'all on the last episode that there was not one ounce of selflessness in that cry, that decrying the lack of wild cards for Spanish players from Fernando Verasco. He told us in no uncertain terms that yes, I should have gotten a wild card. I gave him the benefit of the doubt. You did. So shame on me. I mean, I, you know, I'm proud that I was uh, kind for once. The winner of Andy Murray and Dominic Team would get Denis Shapovalov. And then the winner of that, likely to get Djokovic. So that whole first round Murray Team melee, melee, if y'all are playing Quirtle, was a real yeah. pain in the ass on Quirtle Three of the, the other same day. vowel? That is, that is hard. If you play those word games, there are... Certain days where the word is just like, okay, okay are you, are, come on, are you serious? And then when you play Quirtle where you have to find four of them and you're given nine chances and you end up with cling, clang, melee, and what was it? Some other word that I'd never heard of. I got it, but that was a whole ass mess. I was very pleased. I got zesty in three, uh, three turns the other day. Some people were having trouble with that one. I also lost my... Wordle streak. Mm-hmm. I brought up my century, made 104 in a row, and then I was, I got a little bit complacent while watching Russian Doll. I should not have played while I didn't have my full attention on the game. No, when I'm having trouble with a word, I have to put it away and, and go back because I don't want to lose my streak again. I don't have that patience. So it's not just the Maritime first round, like this thing unfolds like a Russian Doll as it goes forward, before you even get to a potential 
Rafa Alcalas or uh, Rafa Djokovic in the semifinals. Mm-hmm. Francis Tiafo, who is currently in Estoril, he would open against Christian Garin in the first round. And should Tiafo get through that, he plays Felix again in the next round. If you recall, Felix beat him in straight sets in Barcelona recently, a couple weeks ago. And Felix has a 2-0 head-to-head career record against him. And this is not what we want to see. If you have a vested interest in black male tennis players doing well. We got a little bit more about the uh, Wimbledon ban of Russian and Belarusian players. They had their big uh, annual meeting, their press conference and everything uh, a few days after the announcement went out on April 20th. And here the chair of the All England Club was able to uh, explain a little about the decision making. The... Sporting bodies in the UK are receiving government guidance, basically, on how to handle Russian and Belarusian players. And Ian Hewitt, who's the chair of the All England Club, basically indicated that, you know, the government set out guidance for how we're supposed to handle this. The aim is limiting Russia's influence, period. And he seemed to imply that this was one of very few options laid out to them seemed like it was one of two options. And according to them, the other one was untenable, whereby you get the Russian players to decry and denounce and get their thoughts on record. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this means that our speculation on the whole Kit Middleton thing on the previous episode maybe was not accurate. Right. And I do want to address that because a few people called that out and I... We always issue corrections, like if we've said something that's false or misleading, and we didn't make that up whole cloth, you know, (laughs) like it was based on a story in the Telegraph. And upon rereading it, now I'm thinking like, did this person make up the story? Because so I haven't seen it reported elsewhere, except for uh, basically paraphrasing the Telegraph story. And I guess I don't know enough about the the sort of royal obsession and the type of reporting that it inspires in the UK to be able to parse what is fact and what is sort of commentary. Because upon rereading it, I'm like, is there any factual basis for this person saying the Kate Middleton thing was a factor or could be a factor? And to this day, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It speaks volumes, though, that it made sense to a lot of people. That it could be true. (laughs) No, don't. (laughs) That's backtracking. The other thing that was missing from our discussion on the Wimbledon ban last time was the things that have been said by Ukrainian tennis players. And pretty much en masse, they've come out saying that this this ban should happen. Yes. So a few Ukrainian players shared this, uh, this statement on their social media. And it laid out a few questions that they are demanding that the tennis governing bodies answer. So the ATP, WTA, and ITF uh, basically interrogating whether Russian and Belarusian players support the invasion and whether they support Putin and Lukashenko in general. And then it goes beyond that and it says, quote, if applicable... We demand to exclude and ban Russian and Belarusian athletes from competing in any international event, as Wimbledon has already done. So this was written after the Wimbledon ban. It, if applicable, 
is, is carrying a lot of weight here, but what it implies is if you answer those questions in an unsatisfactory way, then yes, you should be banned from future events. And then Marta Kostiuk gave an interview to Reem Abilil for Eurosport, I believe, where I think she has been the most unequivocal, most forceful in her stance that these players should not be playing. And she pushed back specifically against this idea that Russian players would be endangering themselves and especially their families if they were to come out against Russia so forcefully and on the record, saying that, come on, how many weeks, months has it been now, especially in the top 50, you have the means to relocate your families if you really cared about this stuff, essentially. Mm -hmm. And she also said, quote, they pretend like they are victims of the situation. And we sort of mentioned this on the last episode that Yes, this is this is really complicated, and it's why I think we've avoided making some grand proclamation about what the right thing to do is, because I genuinely don't know what the right thing to do is. But this young woman is uh, should be afforded even an emotional reaction to what's going on, right? Like, it doesn't have to be 100% logical all the time. Meanwhile, you have the majority of tennis players towing the line like saying only what needs to be said to not put themselves in harm's way one or the other or to keep their feet out of hot water. That was not the approach taken by Donna Vekic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the thing, like, okay, agree or disagree with what Marta Kostiak said, but I'm just like, I want to know, like, why are you in it? Lacia Sorenko, another Ukrainian player, said that Rublev is, quote, not interested in what is happening in his own country. And Dana Vekic pipes up and says in reply, yeah, that's why he offered to donate all of his prize money to Ukraine. Right. And, you know, I just want to know, like, why are you part of this? It just, okay, even if you think Sorenko is wrong or she's out of line here, it's like, why is this so important that you comment on it? Um, I just... Like, I understand where Kostiuk is coming from by saying, you know, these people are not the real victims here, which is true. Which uh, is kind of what Dasha Kasatkina alluded to on our last episode, what we talked about, where yeah, she said, you yeah. know, yeah, this is not ideal, but like there are bigger things happening in the world. Right. And Rublev himself said that he doesn't know much. He admitted to being ignorant about a lot of what's going on. He hasn't really been following. And so Sorenko saying he's not interested in what's going on in his country is not altogether false, right? It It's not completely inaccurate. So... Because all these other players are, are taking the stance of saying stuff like, well, you know, we need to keep the politics out of sport. And we know that you cannot take politics out of sport. You can make efforts to mitigate against bad actors who want to use sport politically to further their own gains, mm -hmm. right? If they have political agendas that they want to benefit from, we can do that. But inherently, sport is not pure. Sport necessarily because it is played, whichever sports it is, is played by human beings whose very being of breathing air and living in this world is a political thing. They bring their own 
political identities, whether they want to claim them or not, to the courts, to the fields, to the stadiums. That happens. So we can't just use this trope to just blanketly avoid talking about subjects. And this is where Marta Costa is absolutely correct in saying that sports are political. Period. Right. right. Point blank. She's a teenager. She knows this. I mean, wild cards are political. You know, in a micro sense, right? But there are geopolitical aspects to Mm -hmm. giving out wild cards. But in a larger sense, like there's no way to have an international sport or even a a smaller sport where all these people are coming together and politics and war and conflict are not part of how they do their job and what uh, influences and interferes with how they do their job. Um, If you want to use an example of keeping politics out of sport, keeping bad actors being politically disingenuous and acting in bad faith out of sport, look no further than the participation of trans athletes in sports, specifically youth, youth sport. Like These athletes are being used to further political agendas. Right. So when somebody like Rublev or all these other players want to kind of toe the line and say, well, I denounce war, but can we please just like keep the you know like let, let's just just play tennis why can't we just do that mm, it, you can't have both yeah and listen like we've talked a lot about how russian and belarusian players are not exactly free to speak their minds at all times right mm. they are exposing themselves and their families to risk potentially uh you know i don't agree with marta that russian players should just like up and leave the country not not everyone can do that like we don't know everyone's situation but i'm not going to sit here and attack her for saying those things right um it's just there's not an easy answer here i think where we come down is that absolutely these ukrainian players are allowed to have their feelings without or judgment on them right regardless of how you and i may feel about whether a ban is useful or effective or you know mm. it, yeah cc or bcc donna Vekic <laughs> on that one uh, i also wanted to mention that wimbledon will not be accrediting russian media and they're still deciding on russian coaches and staff now this is an interesting one that uh, you may have escaped notice right what if you're a player from uh, mexico who has a russian coach right or you have a russian physio or uh, a trainer from Belarus. Are those people going to be in, allowed in the country at all? And the Yelling Club said they're not sure yet. There's a very awkward conflict that reporters pointed out that the chair of the Lawn Tennis Association, which is basically the, the Tennis Federation of Great Britain, Mervyn Davies, who is also a member of the House of Lords, is the chair of an investment firm founded by a Russian oligarch. So he has not been asked to step down from his position. He will not be banned from Wimbledon. It's a conflict that, you know, tennis is really good at. Mm-hmm. Somebody tell Riley Opelka about it to, to spread <laughs> yeah. the word. We got word this past week, I believe the day after the release of our last episode, that Roger Federer has a comeback date. We now know that he is targeting not Labor Cup, but his home tournament in Basel to make his return to the tour. And we got conflicting responses to this. I saw two main responses. One being, oh my God, 
hail the return of King Federer. He's coming back to claim his throne. What is his schedule going to look like going forward? And the other response, a little bit more tempered, maybe a bit more pessimistic, well, absolutely a bit more pessimistic, was, is this just a ceremonial final hurrah? Yeah, uh, maybe I'm pessimistic, but when I saw this news, it was pretty discouraging. I, To me, it, it felt indicative of, uh, this is kind of my swan song. I was surprised it was so late. I mean, he did manage expectations and said, like, don't expect me at Roland Garros. I probably won't even play Wimbledon. But Basil is late. It's really late in the season. And, uh, I, you know, I don't follow Team Federer super, super closely, so there could be things I'm missing here. But to me, this feels like a chance to be with his family, his fans, his friends, and say goodbye. It could also be a chance to have 2022 not be a complete write-off get a maybe a cute couple matches under his belt, do some exhibitioning, mm-hmm. find a new globetrotting exhibitioning partner that's not Zverev to <laughs> make some, raise some funds in the offseason, and then maybe reassess and decide what to do for 2023. Well, that's possible. What you know? What if he arrives in Basel and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm actually playing kind of well. Maybe, maybe I'll play a little more. Emirat Okanu splits with coach Torben Belts. Uh, seems to have come as a surprise to Torben himself. But I thought <laughs> with all the, uh, so with all like the fake quotes and everything going around Twitter as a joke, I thought maybe this was fake. But Torben actually did like a tweet that was kind of questioning Emma's decision, yeah, basically. Yeah, it was pretty salty. It was a salty it, move. Yeah, it feels a little unprofessional as a coach who's very well known on the WTA and will, I'm sure, will pick up a new pupil very soon. Uh, I, you know, Emma is so young and I don't really, like if the partnership is not working out, it's not working out. It, you know, if you decide, if you and your team and your parents, because she is so young, her parents probably have a say, if you all decide that the partnership is not working for you, then I think it's really best to acknowledge it and move on. One of the wildest things I've seen in a long time, and I'm glad that I have this perspective now thanks in no small part to Pam Shriver's story that she told Mm. last week, is the wild thing was all these folks responding to this news by moralizing and passing judgment on Emma, saying she thinks she's too big for her britches. This is what happens when fame goes to your head. You think you're better than everybody. And I'm like, like, how did you get all that from that? First of all, go read Pam's article, listen to the interview on the Tennis Podcast, and consider that maybe with super young, in particular, women tennis players, we can't take the same approach with, say, Serena firing Patrick, allegedly, possibly. (laughs) You know, like, the discourse surrounding the two Mm. should not be the same. Like, it's not a carte blanche to just, like, go ham. Go barstool ham on it. And And this is like, to be clear, this is not casting aspersions on any any party involved. I'm getting I'm getting to it. Yeah. This is not at all saying that there's something untoward that happened that Torben Belts did anything, but it's asking to consider 
that there are more considerations with the makeup of a young tennis player's team than there is with an older player. Different, maybe not more, but different. Mm. And part of that is you're traveling the globe with a grown-ass man in your camp under his tutelage, under his authority, in a sense, because we know even though you may be signing the checks, that's not how these things work on a day-to-day emotional, interpersonal level, right? Right. You may be the employer, but this person has been hired to teach you, Mm -hmm. to guide you. Extra care is needed with young women. That's it. And so if Emma or anybody in that camp, be it a parent or whatever, decide that this is not a good fit for whatever reason, that should be the end of it. Yeah. And I mean, we should say like this should be applied generally to to any young player or really any player basically like torben is obviously a very accomplished coach like he's a great coach but if the vibes are wrong the vibes are wrong like if it doesn't work for a particular player then you've got to cut bait and move on and who knows maybe five years from now she'll say oh this was a mistake but like the point is we don't actually know we, mm-hmm. we have no inside information on you know why it didn't work we don't know what she was looking for like we, <laughs> right. we do know that the coach that was with her when she won the U.S. Open was never intended to be a long-term coach. Mm-hmm. And he's mm-hmm. now coaching his own child. And so when that split, that first split happened organically, it's like, well, what do I want? What do I know that I want? Mm-hmm. It's a trial and error thing. Yeah. You know? It's far too early in her career to, uh, to imply that this is panic mode. You know, like flying through a roster of coaches. Right. The bottom line is I think that it's clear that she's taking her career seriously. Mm -hmm. That she's very professional about the way she's going about things. And just just watch it play out, man. Yeah. I will say it it was surprising to hear this right after her very good performance against Ego. (laughs) And maybe even for her coach himself. That was like, oh, there felt it felt like there was a little bit of dissonance there. Yeah. uh, The point is, we don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe... He was done dirty in some way. <laughs> Maybe That's he was. also possible. Yeah. But like, it's not a good look, even if he was, to be out here liking these tweets. Just like, <laughs> go back into the coaching pool and rely on your credentials. <laughs> right? Because you're going to get somebody good. Right. Now, moving on to a coach that I am less inclined to give the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> Patrick Muradoglu, as you know, is now working with Simone Halep. And he has been out here. He has been wiling on social media promoting this partnership. This man is such a shameless self-promoter. It's, I mean, he took to social media and asked people, what should our team name be? Him and Simona Halep. Sir, (laughs) you are employed by Simona Halep. By definition, it is Team Simona Halep. Right. Like, you don't get a ship name, you don't get a team name, uh, Simona Halep is the brand. And if people are shipping you, that is inappropriate <laughs> for the professional nature of that relationship. Are there lines that you will not cross? I would like to know. Mm. So, t- to continue the shit list portion of the episode, the whole thing won't be like this, I swear. Corentin Mouté, well, when, when will they stop? A new ATP young kid is revealing himself every week. This time it was 
homophobic joking about talking to the umpire and saying, are you, are you into me? Like, is that why you're, you're bothering me so much? I'm not like that, but I wish I was. That's the new no homo, right? That's the new progressive ally version of yeah. homophobia. It's like, I wish I was gay, but I'm not. So stop because talking Because if about- I were gay, then you know, it'd be okay. Well, yeah, yes. If you are gay, you are okay with male attention. <laughs> what are you trying to say? It like, why does it have to go there? When you're pissed at the umpire, why is it, oh, yeah, ha, 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 you have a crush on me? Because that's the funniest thing that could exist, right? It's so depressing how quickly and immediately these players shift into this gear, right? Mm-hmm. That's the immediate response. And I know folks take the leap, a logical leap, to be fair, that, well, this is kind of why there are no out ATP players, because this off-the-cuff, happening at any moment, casual homophobia is just around the corner. Right. It's always lurking at or below or just above the surface. And honestly, speaking from experience, even in what feels like the most benign ways, like the sort of the lowest level of homophobia, it's really disorienting when it happens to you. And it's really alienating because it it makes you feel like you are not, you're not part of this. You're not welcome. It's kind of silly to sit here and say like, oh, I wonder why nobody's feeling comfortable enough to be out in men's sports. Well, I wonder why. Mm -hmm. And we got, we solicited questions for this episode to kind of supplement the agenda. And one of them that we got that we'll use to talk about this issue more from uh, Damien Asking us if we recall the blatant toxic masculinity and homophobia from Kyrgios and Kokonakis in their final press conference after winning the Australian Open doubles. And if you recall, <laughs> I think we talked about this on the show, didn't I, we? I don't, I don't know. Uh, you know, Ben Rothenberg asked them about a kind of affection, physical affection between them, right? Like the, slapping each other's asses the and butt stuff. touching, the this, the that. And Ben was forced to reckon with the question and he has so that's not what this is about right yeah we we are also asked and we'll answer it more fully later on what are some of the most cringe moments in tennis history this was one of them (laughs) happening in the press room it was such a cringe moment and so the like the question was uncomfortable but the answer was equally uncomfortable you know you can wear the rainbow wristband but i don't it felt it felt uncomfortable yeah. It didn't feel safe because you can talk about being an ally and I'm sure there have been instances in the past I can't quite pinpoint them where both those guys have been at allies or mm-hmm. espoused to be allies. But then as a queer person, you're witnessing this and it doesn't feel safe. You know what the next few steps can lead to. Right, right. If you'll allow me to tell a story. I don't think I ever, like I never fully grasped this until I left the country. Like until I went to a new country and I experienced like how straight men show affection to each other. And, you know, every culture like has their rules around that. So when I was in Italy, for example, I saw men being very affectionate, kissing, hugging, holding hands on the street. And as a young person, I was like, oh, my God, like this culture is so open and progressive. And then I realized they're more affectionate, but there are still very clear boundaries and they're very strict rules about what is masculine affection and what is gay. It just looks different. Mm-hmm. In response to Ben's question, 
Kokonaka said, you'd like that, Ben, wouldn't you? And then they both kind of tag team the, the gay panic, wink, haha, not really, locker room, it's just us boys being boys response, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is what this was this week with Mute. It was almost the same exact thing. Yeah, yeah. And I just, like, I don't understand. I mean, I do understand because, like, I've read a lot. About why does it go here? But why does Justin Thomas call a golf ball the F word? Mm. Right? Why? Like what? <laughs> that was one of the most absurd, mind-blasting things I've ever seen. It was so ridiculous. It was comical. Like, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to risk getting canceled by calling a golf ball a slur? Dude, what? Like, what did the golf ball do? Did it take a quick pit stop to the glory hole on the way to the hole? <laughs> Don't look that up for anyone who doesn't know. Well, this is 2022. Everybody knows what that is. I mean. <sighs> anyway. Uh, so, but bottom line is, currently this week, Mute canceled. Retroactively, if we didn't already, Kyrios Kokonakis canceled. Until further notice. Oh, oh, wow. This is this feeling very like 2018. You're really mm-hmm. bringing back cancel culture. Doing it. Mm-hmm. Like, the gays have to reclaim their power. Yeah, because I I don't want to get into that, but we are entering a strange and difficult time in our history right now, in at least in North America, and it, I do fear it's going to get worse before it gets better. Who else is canceled? And I think I can unilaterally make this decision for both of us. Body Surf Hall of Shame inducted, locked in the basement, key thrown away. Mm-hmm. Serona Kirstea done. How can you get canceled if end, you were always canceled? End of story. Serana, in light of the news that Elon Musk has uh, uh, or staged a hostile takeover of Twitter this week, she tweeted, back on Twitter full time, thank you at Elon Musk for making it great again. <laughs> Wink. Okay. Like. Hilarious. Girl, you fit. A, she fit a lot. So funny. Into that so tweet. funny. A lot. Packed a lot of meaning. What an intellect. Make Twitter great again. What an intellect. A, a clear nod to, you know fascist movements around the world Um, the brain power that that took to make that comparison this being somebody who you remember was caping for greg abbott of all people yes yes was who what is he governor of texas Texas. she is very insistent that nobody criticize anything that happens in her country Mm -hmm. but she's over in romania talking about how much she loves the governor of texas which is allowed but it does make you sound stupid the Tyriac Nexus is strong on this episode because we'll get to that with a soon-to-be imprisoned former tennis player. Mm. Kirstie is what, married to his son or something like that? Or Or engaged? Engaged, I think, yeah. She's, you know, uh, shared some alarming views in the past. This wasn't as much alarming as just kind of dumb. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, like I've i'm heard, not i'm I've not s- mad about it it's I've, just like what uh, okay i've seen people trying to parse the meaning of it like I, make I, make twitter great again i think she, but made she it, can't be maga because she's not american i think she made it quite clear to be honest uh like i don't care whether you're an american citizen if you are espousing Mag- and showing support for members of magacity 
then you shall be held to the same standard as somebody born and inbred in the United States. Right. Like, does she know all of the issues that the MAGA folks stand for? Like, does she agree with all of them? I don't, I don't care. Know. She's a grown woman know. who can right. read books. This Ooh, isn't, we're heading right, right into Boris Becker. No, but okay. To me, this isn't like a shit list portion. Because I don't think this is... I don't know. At this point, I feel like it's like kicking Are you one of those now who is like, well, I'm, I'm getting to the... The sympathy portion of the no, story for Becker. No. Keep in mind, you are 100% full throttle against the reimagining of, like, a Bush presidency. Take that approach <laughs> Okay, to that's this. not what this is at all. Why don't... We'll share the news and then I'll, I'll share my view why this isn't a celebratory moment. Okay. So Boris Becker has been sentenced to two and a half years in prison... Uh, convicted on four counts based on uh, hiding assets and debts worth up to two and a half million pounds during uh, bankruptcy proceedings. So the the allegation and the charge was that he was hiding money during assets. assets while this proceeding was going on to to basically assess how much do you owe your creditors because he was he had to declare bankruptcy. He owed almost 50 million pounds to various creditors around the world. So he he had been convicted. This was the sentencing. The judge... So we don't have to say allegedly? No. Okay. No. The judge said, yes, you may have felt humiliated, but that Becker showed no humility through the process and showed, quote, little to no interest in engaging with bankruptcy proceedings. Now, Becker's lawyer, on the other hand said that he wasn't hiding this money to live a lavish lifestyle. He was using it to pay spousal support, medical bills, legal fees, not fun stuff. But the point is Mm -hmm. that you're in bankruptcy proceedings. You have to declare every asset and debt that you have. And you can't be like squirreling money away for after, Mm. right? And like one, I mean, if you forgot about like that little plot of land that you bought in the Central African Republic... After you were appointed diplomat. Mm. If you forgot about that, okay, that little piece of your net worth, I can... Okay, but two properties, all this other stuff, like, there was some dirty doing here. Yes. With the process. And his lawyers tried to make the case, well, yeah, we, we don't need to imprison him because he's really suffered enough. He suffered the humiliation. He'll never be able to work again. Mm-hmm. Which... It's not true because tennis will Absolutely employ not literally anyone. Yeah. So the reason that I say this is not celebratory is for two reasons. The first is that I don't celebrate people going to prison mm-hmm. unless you are like a literally dangerous to society. Uh, that's just that's not something I'm ever going to celebrate is someone being locked up. And two is is just uh, it's a shame like the the absolute mess that he's made of his life, right? And, and a lot of it was his own doing. It's just, uh, at this point, not something that I'm going to sit here and enjoy or laugh about. Mm-hmm. It, it sucks. I'm not enjoying it. Right, right. And I wasn't, impl- I mean, some people are like, he got what he deserved. And I don't know, like, that's that's not my role to say if he got what he deserved. And it's just, you know, there are people who rode his coattails who could probably help him right now. And they're not. And you can fill that, in the blanks, right? Part of that right? nexus we were yeah. talking about before. Yeah. 
there are people who pushed him really, really hard. Who are literal was, billionaires. was still a teenager, right? And it's I, it just sucks that he doesn't have anything to show for one of the most celebrated tennis careers ever. Now, he has made many, many bad choices. Many mistakes. I'm not trying to absolve him of responsibility here. It's just a shitty situation. Yeah, I do not feel sorry for him. Yeah, that that's fine. Because... If we investigate this ruling from the judge saying you showed no contrition, right? Mm -hmm. You essentially made a mockery of the process. You didn't take this seriously. Part of what that entailed was claiming diplomatic immunity through an allegedly fake Central African Republic passport and diplomatic appointment to then make him immune from prosecution in the UK. And then to go and talk about it by saying... He has such a great affinity for Africa. You have all these mixed-raced people in your family, and because of that, you have experienced racism, and you are sensitive to that, and your parents were refugees, and so you kind of know what it's like to for what the people of the Central African Republic are going through. And this has nothing to do with my bankruptcy case. Nothing. I mean, there was a lot of mess going on he may, with this whole situation. He may feel those things deeply, but the foreign minister of CAR accused him of using a fake passport. Said, excuse me, excuse so I me. I don't know what's true or not. False. <laughs> and this is somebody, not to cast aspersions on someone's personal life, but this is somebody. But you're about to? This is somebody who, while their wife was about to give birth, had an argument and left her to go out and party while she was rushed to the hospital to give birth and then conceived a second child in a coat closet that same night. Mm -hmm. I just like, can you imagine if you were that child? Because everybody knows that story of your conception. That sucks. This was told by him. I know. Well, because he was also taken to court and he denied that I mean, he accused the mother of stealing his sperm. Did you know that? <sighs> I mean... This is what I'm talking about. Like, yeah. yeah, he made bad choices. I'm not saying he didn't. Uh, My point is I am not here for the woe is me sub story with this man. Yeah, yeah. I acknowledge that he was probably taken serious advantage of as a youth mm-hmm. in the 80s. I have probably no doubt about that, right? Right. But you have lived your life as an adult very determinedly in one fashion. And so now when the, what do you call it, the chickens have come home to roost? I think so. When these bills have to be paid, this is this is a bed that you made. Sure. I'm, I'm just like, okay, prison, like, is, what, what does that do? They say it's a deterrent, right? No, I understand Is that deterring that. people from committing fraud in the future? No, it did. Ideology, ideologically, I agree with you. Uh, yeah. I understand your meaning, but too often people take the approach of, well, is it really that necessary to do the prison thing when it comes to white collar crime, specifically perpetrated by white people? Oh, of course. I, I mean, I'm saying apply what I'm saying across the board. Yes. And I don't know a lot about the prison system in the UK, but in the US, for example, release everyone on nonviolent drug offenses now, mm-hmm. today. A quick shout out before we get to our Q 
Q&A portion of the episode. Hold on to your racket podcast, Josefina and Shravia, your female Gen Z voices in tennis podcasting. That's their branding, and they're very good at it. Exceptional branding. Uh, yes. Uh, they found a gap in the marketplace, and they are filling it really well. A marketplace that's heavily saturated with straight white men and gay men. And we yeah. have enough of those. Right. We have enough self-awareness to know that we, even though gay men are still a minority, there are enough. <laughs> Especially as we get older. We want, I, I mean, I hope that people find their niche and, and figure out what's missing from the conversation and fill it. There so, may have been a time when perhaps what we did with starting the show was filling a niche and we had something unique and different to say, but that's becoming increasingly less so. And so <laughs> to have these two young women do what they're doing is much needed and welcomed. Yeah, on their most recent episode, they had Morgan Riddle as their guest and did a great interview with her. And she talked about kind of, you know, who she is, how she got to be who she is. Because when she kind of appeared as, quote unquote, Taylor Fritz's girlfriend, and she was promoting the sport, she was faced with a lot of really ugly, misogynistic criticism about like, who is this girl? She doesn't know anything about tennis. And... She's actually uh, like an interesting person. She's an influencer. It was it was just a great. This podcast was the perfect vehicle to introduce Morgan to the larger tennis world. That's hold on to your racket podcast. I want to talk about this robot dog. Wait before before you do that, <laughs> we asked for questions, and I said the first question is going to be James rank your three most hated tournaments mm-hmm. since we are at Madrid. Right now. Well, I don't it's know what, what are you trying to imply about Madrid. I love I love Madrid. It's oh, you my do. favorite tournament. You do? Yeah. Wheel and come again. Mm-hmm. My least favorite. I, I mean, I don't think that's any secret to people who have been listening to this podcast. My least favorite tournaments are this one, Indian Wells, and probably the Paris Masters. Okay. Which would be your most hated tournament? Is it even close between uh, Madrid and Indian Wells? It is. No, it's very close. But I, I think Madrid is my least... I don't want to use the word hate. In my house growing up, we weren't allowed to use that word hate, mm-hmm. uh, especially as a verb, like I hate something. My least enjoyable tournament is Madrid, I think. Wow. Yeah. No, for real. I've, I can <laughs> I can say that that feels false. Because me having to live with mm. you during both these tournaments, there's a disproportionate response to both. Sure, sure. I think it's because I pay less attention to Madrid. Like, I feel uh, with Indian Wells, I have a responsibility to sort of keep up on it because it it holds more importance to most people in tennis. With Madrid, you know, it's a different time zone. I can ignore a lot of it if I want to. And... It's just like this very, to me, like this very ugly history of you have a joint tournament, but you're purposely treating women worse. Mm-hmm. The times when the the woman's winner was just given an annual trophy I mean, from the store. The trophy, like it looked like my bowling trophies from third grade. You know, I don't know where they got these things. And that wasn't always the case. For a long now, time, both winners got the phallic prickly trophy. Right. And lo and behold, this year we're 
getting two brand new trophies, and they're both vaginally inspired. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm, I love that. I wonder what is the obsession with genitalia with this tournament I, and the trophies. I wonder what is your obsession. <laughs> that's what I want to know. Because you looked at this trophy and said that that is a vagina. What is it supposed to be? I don't know. I actually haven't seen it. So A blooming flower? Well, it's very literary. Anyway, uh, you know, I love Twitter because I can learn some really important facts from an account called Glitter Squirrel. Mm. Like, hat tip to Glitter Squirrel. I love the handle. And she, I think she, was talking about, like, what are these robot dogs from Madrid? They're not as cute and benign as you think they are. They were developed by this company called Boston Dynamics, which uh, is occasionally an arms contractor, a contractor for the military. They developed these robot dog things and called it Spot, like the product name is Spot. And it was originally thought it could be used like in military endeavors. And I, I don't think it's working for them. Like it's so now they're selling it to mining companies, construction, public safety. Wink, wink, wink. What do you think public safety is? Let's um, let's keep a special eye on black and brown people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's saying that it has all this special technology and software to be able to detect when the environment becomes unsafe. Yeah. What so, does that mean? <laughs> the Madrid tournament, they they wrote a, a little article about what they're using this dog for. And the dog is named Yellow, by the way. Amarillo, if you're a Spanish speaker. Uh, but, Amarillo? Yeah, that's what I said. Okay. No, that's, you don't think that's what it I said? It sounded a little bit different to me. Amarillo. Okay. In Italian, it's Giallo. Okay. Anyway, they're using the dog as part of its security apparatus. Right? They have this private security firm called ProSegur. The dog is not exactly like a ball boy. It's not around to fetch balls and bring them to the umpire. It's actually part of their security system. It's used as a surveillance device. It has a camera. It has video analysis technology. And it can literally patrol the grounds of the tournament and detect suspicious activity. So... You don't have to take this much further to see how this can be used in a nefarious way by law enforcement, for example, since mm-hmm. it's already being used by private security. It's, uh, wow, it's gross. Can we just go back to the days where we had the Samsung male model ball boys? <laughs> right? And that was like the innovation? That was an innovation I could get behind. <laughs> Thank you to everybody who responded with questions for our Q&A segment. We'll start with Tony at TJ at TJC05, tennis Twitter royalty, asking, am I the only one confused about the WTA slash ATP Tennis United? It seems to just pop up out of nowhere once in a while. And now we've got an app, which is something, I guess. If you remember, we used to all all use the same tennis app pretty much. Yes. A year and a half ago or a couple of years ago. And then it just stopped. It ended. And then we were told, well, we're working on something else. In the meantime, the TNNS app kind of filled that void. I still use it now. I think I enjoy using that more than you do. <laughs> I use a few different ones, actually. And, you know, I am a slow adopter mm-hmm. with technology, so I haven't really used the new WTA ATP app at all. 
I've um, opened it twice. Okay. So I, I can't speak to how good it is or whatever. To give them kind of the benefit of the doubt, I I imagine it takes a while to develop an app that is actually good and useful and tested uh-huh. and everything before you push it out to market. But Lee Magella also asked a question about uh, a similar subject, saying that it took a pandemic for the WTA and the ATP to work together on some of their issues. What will it take to get them to fully integrate their organizations? So along the same lines as Tony's question, and there's a lot of I don't knows embedded in here. Will the organizations ever be integrated fully? I don't think so. Like, uh, and I don't even think that's the goal. I think the goal is... I don't know if that's is, something that's good. Well, right, right. And I think the purported goal is basically to work in close cooperation with each other as separate organizations to find efficiencies and basically to make this sport function a little better. Find efficiencies. That's such well, business you, speak. It is. But you know what that means, right? It means if you have the same digital department, you can spend less on labor. And again, that's another euphemism. But but at the same time, we'll work together. But, you know, nobody watches women's tennis. So you asking for an equal share of the pie? <laughs> Not going to happen, sweetie. So we'll give you a few more crumbs and we'll call it a win. Yeah. So that's, that's the risk in uh, like fully integrating is that if there are interests representing both men's and women's tennis in the same organization like who will take precedent i like i think we know the men's side currently has more money to work with so they have more power more leverage Mm -hmm. i see people talk all the time on social media about how shit the wta is how they have been derelict in their duty promoting and growing its product like do they even care like clearly if something is happening untoward with the WTA that it's their fault and what I would caution folks is unless you work for the WTA which I don't unless you know the nitty-gritty behind the scenes negotiations of what's going on it's foolhardy to assume in this global social construct this global socially patriarchal construct that the ATP and the WTA are operating with the same resources. Right. And that they have the same spending power, political capital, what have you. And so, like, how do you get to a place of immediately casting blame on the WTA without knowing what's going on and without considering the reasons why these things happen, even to the biggest sporting professional women's organization in the world Mm -hmm. and i mean to be fair we have done that Mm -hmm. right like we have criticized things we probably didn't fully understand about the wta and the atp we're not innocent in that but i think one of the the pluses of this cooperation or purported like collaboration is i think we've learned more about how the organizations worked even like on a fan level it's hard to find out information about these leagues right tennis is not one of the top sports is not covered as in depth as the nfl in the u.s or the nba i think the the cooperation has gotten fans and journalists talking about like how do these organizations function what is their purpose 
Are they players associations? Are they corporations? You know, so I think it's been a good thing. But I would like to know more personally about what the barriers are to close cooperation. Mm -hmm. If, you know, if there are barriers in any organization, but in this sport, I, I would like to know more. In the meantime, what we've gotten is a bunch of hashtag Tennis United, Bethnematic Sands, grinning all over the place, alongside Vashik Pospisil and some other right, that's, ATP player that's who's not putting their need, hand up, right? you know? What we need is is two influential organizations pooling their resources and pushing for better deals for players and fans. Because if you consider tennis to be tennis, an entity that is comprised of equally valuable products that... Oh, I think a lot of people would argue you on that point. Okay, but if you come to the table by saying, okay, well, maybe like in the early 2000s, men's tennis won't be pulling its weight as much as women's tennis. And those things can ebb and flow. That even if you're struggling a little bit here, we're going to still invest in you because together hashtag tennis united together long term we are stronger Mm -hmm. i still have doubts that that is the pure perspective behind this right right but tony you're right like we haven't gotten sustained public displays of tennis unity and you open this app and it sits on your home screen and it's not the tennis app or tennis this whatever it just says atp like, it says ATP Tour. Wait a minute. Because it literally asks you what your like default yes. league is. And I picked WTA. As did but I. But it's on my screen and says ATP Tour is yeah. the title of the app. Mm-hmm. Excuse you? But I'm sure that's the WTA's fault. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. Jimmy at Rakitecki asks, which are your favorite WTA doubles pairings? And who would you love to see play together, irrespective of who they currently partner? I enjoy watching Zhang Shui and Sam Stozer, U.S. Open champions, mm-hmm. current U.S. Open champions. I enjoy watching Coco Goff play doubles. I can't say the same for any of her chosen doubles partners. <laughs> <laughs> I think her and Peggy could be a very successful pairing, though. I'm sure. Um, but then Coco has to decide to give... Katie the boot. Yeah. Because as it is, Poor Peggy Katie. has a bunch of different partners mm. that she, you know, goes to prom with every now and then. I would like to see Coco and Venus play again at some point. Should Venus ever be back on the tennis tour? That was a highlight, seeing the two of them play together. I'd like to see Coco and Sloan play doubles together. Mm-hmm. And if Shea comes back at some point, I'd like to see Coco play with Shea. I think it's great... You know, you get this unbridled, youthful joy with Coco and her young partners. Mm-hmm. But there is something extra in her playing with a seasoned veteran and getting that dynamic. Yes. I would say as far as like actual pairings, I like Shay and Streetsova, even though I know I think Streetsova has retired. She right? has. And, and has given Shea, birth. Shea is on maternity leave. So maybe that's not a current pairing, but a real pairing that existed. I really enjoyed. And fantasy pairing, I would actually like to see Venus and Shea. Which, you know, not the games are not too different from Coco and Shea, but that's something I think would be fun. At Daydreamer Oz asks, 
Both of you are caught in a zombie apocalypse. Which tennis player will you recruit to be in your corner? You can choose three each. I give this a lot of thought. Mm. Did you? Mm, no, but I'm going to think about it now. So let me go first. Then. Okay. I give this a lot of thought. I, you know, I don't watch scary movies. I don't think I've ever seen anything zombie. The closest zombie thing I saw was Billy coming back from the dead on Hocus Pocus. <laughs> I just don't. Okay. I just don't do zombies. I feel like right? it counts. So I had to Google how do you kill a zombie. What are zombies' weaknesses? Mm-hmm. And apparently, they you, like to feed on brains. You literally Googled this? I did, yeah. You could have asked me. Okay. I've seen, like, every zombie thing. Okay, but I like to be independent of thought okay. sometimes coming to this show. Okay. Uh, they eat brains. They have certain weaknesses. They don't move very quickly. Um, you have to, like, sever their entire head off in, like, a clean chop. Yes. And sometimes blowing their brains out if it's a clean shot works. Right. And, you know, the the lore is different depending on what film or mm-hmm. show or whatever you're watching, right? I found it interesting that so many people have added to the canon of this being a real thing when it's in fact make-believe. Mm-hmm. Like, these are taken-to-be-true methods. But anyway, right. I'm going to borrow Diego Schwartzman. I'm going to have Danielle Collins and Irina Sabalenka in my team. I'll explain to you. Oh, Okay. Schwartzman will be the pesky, speedy, annoying distractor running around the place. Oh, he can yes. do his little hold the stomach, his little salsa gyrations, mm-hmm. and then run away from them. And he is like the mouth of the South, Southern Hemisphere. Danielle Collins, should Diego be in strife, could just yell, Come on! at one of the zombies. And while they're distra- distracted... Arena Sabalenka can wield an almighty sword and behead them mm-hmm. or shoot a bazooka from afar. A bazooka? Yeah. Oh, wow. Some, something like really forceful. <laughs> okay. I think the three of them could uh, do a good job. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, now, I'm someone who loves zombie movies and books and everything, and I've seen a lot of it. And I know because I'm self-aware that I would be one of the first casualties, uh, I think I would probably just give up. You know, I, I wouldn't be... Don't pick me it, <laughs> in, a, in a zombie apocalypse. But I think my first uh, reasoning was like, avoid anybody who's too comfortable, right? So I'm, I'm not picking... Most of the players who are like at the very top and who have been wealthy for a long time... I'm not picking them. Mm-hmm. I'm not picking Serene and Venus, even though I would like to hang out with them. I'm just, nah. Don't pick Riley Apelka. He'll like go up to a zombie and be like, clown kill bro. Like, that was funny. <laughs> Revoke his zombie card. Uh, and I'm not picking Alejandro Davidovich Fakina because that dude is on the ground half the time. Oh He'd God. trip over a tree stump and that lights out. <laughs> even though I think he would be fun too. I would pick Muguruza because... I, I really don't think she would hesitate if if she needed to take somebody's head off. And I think she would do what was necessary. I would pick Rafa because he's just resilient. Like, he's had every injury. He uh, he values the suffering. I don't know if we can rely on Rafa's body to make it through a but long, would, drawn out. But he would fight, right? And then finally, Sue She. Again, again. Because who is more creative and more resourceful than her? And I bet you she would not be worried about it. (laughs) Right? It would just be a good attitude to have in your camp, coupled with her 
agile mind? Mm-hmm. Uh, as it turned out, I appreciated this question. I am a very literal person, so I do not do right. well with this kind of thinking. <laughs> we just went and saw everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. And while I enjoyed it in the moment, I had to come home and read a lot of stuff about it to then really fully grasp what I watched. Oh, okay. And then I was like, wow, this was really good. Mm-hmm. You know, I, immediately I appreciated Michelle Yeoh's performance, pretty much all the performances, but like I needed to make more sense of it. Do you know? And yeah. so I appreciate the chance to go through the process of thinking abstractly with this question. Mm-hmm. Simpsons Paradox asks, are Venus and Serena done? We need closure. <laughs> and we we actually did talk about this on Twitter already. And I promised that we would we would talk about it, that we could not provide the closure that they were asking for, but that we will talk about it. I think we ebb and flow with what we think is going to happen by the day, by the week. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm leaning toward both playing again yeah. at this point. I think... I think so too. So I've been in DMs and stuff. I've been joking about how Serena's coming for the Wimbledon title and everything. And I I acknowledge that that's pretty far-fetched. But I I think she's going to give it a, a shot at one of these tournaments. Like it may not be Wimbledon, but I think she is going to try to play. Mm-hmm. And I could be totally wrong. And this is influenced by what I want to see as well. I don't really want to have like a ceremonial Pete Sampras retirement where you come on center court and say goodbye and everything. You're you're looking at me like I'm crazy, but Pete did come out in the 2003 U.S. Open and officially retire. After he won in 2002, he didn't play again. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I see yeah. what you're saying. I thought you meant like immediately after playing the match. No, no, no. Kind of thing. No, he came out, you know, in street yeah. clothes and... It was clear that he didn't play tennis anymore, but he didn't officially retire. Yeah, I, I just, I just hope the last tournament is, if there is one, isn't the U.S. Open. That's my only. I I'm know. just not into yeah. it. Not into that relationship anymore. Right. <laughs> Personally, I don't think Serena is either. She keeps saying otherwise. I mean, she has to. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Vanch asks, "What are the cringiest moments you have ever seen in tennis? Would love to hear your top choices." <laughs> I love this question. Thank you. The from so for me, Liesel Huber. Do you remember Liesel Huber? Yes, great doubles player. Mm-hmm. Was South African uh, repatriated to? Is that the right word? No, she became a U.S. citizen, uh, <laughs> and she was like all about America. Right? She got hit with so many tennis balls at the net. I have a feeling people really did not like her. Mm. I didn't like her either, but. The girls were bashing her at the net. Now, the the cringeworthy moment is when she and Kara Black were playing Vesnina and Kuznetsova, and she got beamed like in the neck with a ball. And she was like, no, she was like choking. And it's a genuinely like scary yes. moment, right? Mm-hmm. When you, you can't catch your breath and everything. But the cringe started when, you know, she's crying and everything. And then... Oh, sorry, it wasn't Vesnina, it was Petrova. Petrova comes over to try to comfort her, and Liesel is, like, screaming bloody murder to get away from me. And it was it was a lot. And then they make their way to the chairs, and Svetlana comes over, and she says, breathe normal. <laughs> <laughs> and I know Svetlana was trying to help, 
but it came off as so <laughs> like will you calm down <laughs> it was just it was such a weird moment because huber had a complete breakdown is it like cringe or funny no it was cr- it was cringe okay and the other big cringe moment there nothing nothing tops vika singing happy birthday to somebody who wasn't there and to a crowd that just wasn't helping her Mm. nothing beats it do you know somebody okay i made fun of vika i like her right Mm -hmm. i really i really like her but you're allowed to poke fun somebody blocked me last year and said i was like a deeply ugly person on the inside because i hate vika and she's never done anything to me i was like you know what you win Uh, what can i i mean what can i say you who has never met me you've you got me pegged one of the greatest assets and personality traits that one can have is to enjoy when somebody is taking the piss out of you mm-hmm. when somebody's got you and they've got right. you good and you can't help but laugh <laughs> there's a some there's somebody at my work who adores people's misfortune <laughs> like <laughs> whenever something truly bad happens like it's like one of the highlights of her week, but she can equally laugh at her own misfortune. Mm-hmm. It It's important to have that humility. Um, and speaking of misfortune, the other cringy moment is when Margaret Court decided to play Bobby Riggs in the first battle of the sexes that nobody talks about. Mm-hmm. And she lost. She's like, I'm going to I'm going to catch that check. And Billie Jean King in the historical record called Margaret Court a choker. Mm-hmm. Which is actually hilarious for somebody who's won 24 slams. <laughs> she begged her not to do it. Yeah. And she's like, well, if you're going to do it, you better win. And then she got bamboozled. Yeah. And then Billy was like, well, fuck, I guess I got to do it now. Mm-hmm. I have two cringy moments. I I struggled with this one because ugh, cringy moments tended to be funny for me. <laughs> <laughs> but two I can really find cringe. Uh, Novak eating grass at Wimbledon like disgusting the hall of fame is i mean people are voting on that as the best post-match celebration no cringe cringe federer's 09 wimbledon speech wait when he's saying he's saying to andy roddick oh don't worry i've lost i've lost many matches like these before or i've (laughs) lost i lost like this last year like no no dude (laughs) wait this is not the same thing (laughs) and and they clapped him back afterward is was that the year of the blazer I don't or know. Or the cardigan. Or... But that was the year of the long yeah. drawn out fifth set. Mm. It was such a perfect encapsulation of Federer's aloofness. Yeah, like when he was there in mm. his prime, right? It's almost, it's like this confidence that I admire now, but at the time I thought was cockiness, was obnoxious. Rye Baker asks, if you could watch any ATP player crush a watermelon between his thighs... Who would it be? And then, wow. he, and then he says, if you haven't seen this TikTok trend, I can fix that for you ASAP. Are we still objectifying in 2022? Like, are we allowed to answer this question? Uh, cancel us if, if you may. Okay. If you must. I'll answer it super quickly and then we'll move on. Rafa Nadal, Liam Brody. Next. <laughs> I think we should have a contest between Matteo Berrettini and Andre Rublev. And see who Come, can... That's rude. That's body shaming. <laughs> we're not doing... I know we're not doing that. We're not body shaming. We can... I was going the opposite direction of objectifying. Oh, okay. 
That's all. <laughs> but if I were to objectify, I'd go with Christian Garin. Oh, okay. Uh, there's an FMK. Surprisingly, it's not from the usual suspect, Shola. <laughs> this one is from On Match Point. She submitted the Elder Bridgerton Brothers. Mm-hmm. I know we've got... I, I do want to acknowledge that we were privately told that this segment isn't necessarily the favorite of <laughs> one listener in particular. And, you know... I get it. But also... That's also why we have timestamps. Yeah, right? yeah. So we'll make sure to put this in the timestamp. If you don't care for it, you can... Skip right past it. If the objection is the kill part, we could choose a different verb. Sequester? <laughs> Sequester. <laughs> Quarantine? Um, so the Bridgerton brothers are Antony, Benedict, and Colin. Mm-hmm. Antony is played by um, Jonathan Bailey, who is an out gay man in real British life. gay fox? He's awesome. He, You may know him from the sitcom Crashing with Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Before that. He played the uh, extremely gross dude on Chewing Gum who asked Tracy or um, Michaela Cole to dress up in African tribal yes. garb. He was right. also the intrepid, very green, young reporter on... That British... Oh, Broadchurch. Broadchurch, Which I totally yes. forgot about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that was the first time we saw him. So Jonathan plays the eldest Bridgerton brother. He's the one who's going to inherit the title and all the money. I think I would marry Antony. Okay. Even though he's complicated. It's going to be a very... It's going to be a very emotional, rocky marriage because he has a lot of feelings. He has trauma. But he's got money. You think, you think you'd do well with that? He's got money. <laughs> You think you'd do well yeah, with the I feelings think I'm, and the trauma? I'm a pretty em- empathetic person, I think. Yeah, actually. <laughs> and I mean, just look at him. Yeah, because there's a permanence to being with him when right, you're married, right? Right, I think I would F And also, Benedict. you're basically married to a Jonathan already, so like you've got practice. Exactly. Equally hot, mm-hmm. I might and, add. And I'm also an eldest child, so I get it. Like, I get what it's What like. do you get? Eldest. You're an elder child. Elder There's two of, of you. Of two. Oh, yeah. thank you. Thank you, Mr. <laughs> See, this is what... I can't marry a, a grammarian. <laughs> oh, I'm the grammarian? <laughs> uh, so... You're the literature major. So anyway, this is my turn. For the for the F, it's Benedict, the artist, because... Mm-hmm. It, who's? I, I'm not going to marry him. Like, I mean, he... He's very flighty. He's sort of not... Not exactly sure about his sexuality. Do not have time for that. Yeah, but for the time, mm-hmm. he seems more experimental. Yes, he seems free. You uh, may be able to have more expansive experiences. Okay, he's like the libertine brother of the the Regency period. And then the the K asterisk LL the B the berry is the F. This the, is so the easy. other F the forget. Yeah, this is so easy. Is Colin? I even forgot his name. Like, um, oh my god, what like. A- what a wet blanket. Like, like, first of all, first of all, Penelope Featherington is right in front of you and she's hopelessly in love with you and you can't see it or you won't see it. She's hilarious. She's smart. And she played Claire on Dairy Girls. Mm. Dude, wake up. Come on. We are behind on Dairy Girls. We, <laughs> we need are. to catch up. So, I agree with all three. Oh, okay. And for the reasons you stated. And uh, I would just like to eliminate the younger brothers and just focus on my namesake. Oh, period. Point blank. Yeah. End of story. Sir Anthony Bridgerton. Mm-hmm. Lord Bridgerton. Bay Jonathan Bailey. Mm-hmm. Joy submitted a question in DMs. 
You are called upon to design and orchestrate a post-match retirement celebration for Serena. Describe what it's like, who is there, and what happens. Money is no object. Well, that much is clear about the money. I gotta say, a party is like my worst nightmare at this moment. I don't really want to be around people right now, but Beyonce's got to be there. All of Serena's famous friends. Mackie's got to be there. Jarmir. Richard Norrisine. I don't really care like what the what the gala is. Mm-hmm. You invite uh, Patrick, and then when he gets to the gate, he's not on the list. <laughs> this is like a season one Real Housewives Above of Atlanta, Atlanta thing yep. where Nini gets turned away at Sheree's house. Kim. Yep. Uh, <laughs> no, I, you know, I I hate to say this, but to me, the the greatest celebration is what we already saw was Beyonce's performance at the Oscars celebrating mm-hmm. Venus and Serena in Compton, right? I don't think we will get a moment where we know this is going to be the last match. And for this to be the the ultimate maximum bang for your buck ceremony, it has to be known ahead of time that this is the last tournament. She has to win the tournament. And then you have to be planning like from round to round, like when is it going to happen? Like you can't have a big old no money is a concern, no holes barred, festive moment after a first round loss. Exactly. You know, so you know, and I understand that this now then becomes fantasy. And I'm thinking about it more literally. I think what we'll end up getting is some kind of documentary. Documentary? You see, you've messed me up with that pronunciation. Yeah. I think I got it wrong on the last episode. You would too. say documentary. As opposed to documentary. <laughs> But you're right, like, bestie Beyonce is going to be there. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, though, I just don't think it works. And I don't think anything that could be done would meet the moment. Yeah. And it's something that's going to have to be done repeatedly over the years after her retirement is known and hopefully done well. But there's going to be something big. I can't imagine that Serena mm-hmm. retires and then is just like, yeah. I'm just on Instagram forever and no acknowledgement of what I did. Right, right. You know what I would love? Like you don't beat your big sister that many times in Grand Slam finals for it not to be a thing when it's done. (laughs) But first of all, all of Destiny's children have to be there. Kelly and Michelle have to be there too. The first two as well? Well, if the final three want it, want it to be so. Mm. But but not necessarily. I would love to see Britney and NSYNC there. You know, giving, like, U.S. Open Kids Day tees. Uh, and also, like, the titans of other sports. I'd love to see Candace Parker, Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, Usain Bolt. You know, people who look upon Serena as an inspiration. Mm-hmm. I agree. And where I was going next was to have a celebration where it's goat upon goat upon goat upon goat upon goat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when you are in that stratosphere when you exist on that level we need to have folks celebrating you who kind of understand what it's like to be there and of course the family is going to be there what i find interesting in the last couple years specifically about the family dynamic is sure richard has had health issues and that's probably contributed to him removing himself from public Mm -hmm. life but that had been the case for a while like i legitimately like, when <laughs> is the last time you can remember that both parents are like why are we still doing this 
Well, you know, know? Orazine has been giving that off for quite a while. But Mr. Williams took, I mean, I can't remember the last time I saw him at a tournament. It's been many years, even before his his health issues. So we did not answer your question at all, Joy. Sorry. It was a great (laughs) question, but uh, hopefully there was still something to enjoy from it. Uh, Damien asks, and these are the last two questions. What is Serena's most impressive win for either of you? And also, what is her most disappointing loss? Caveat being, let's not think about post-Olympia losses. Those don't count. Okay. So, my most impressive... I want to say her first Grand Slam title, 1999 US Open. Just the draw that she had to cut through as a 17-year-old. Amazing. I I rewatch those matches often. Like, there's so many. And I'm sure there's so many, like, niche picks that I could tell you to prove that I'm a real fan, but my favorites are probably the 07 Australian Open and the Olympics. Mine is the 2012 Olympics. Like, that Mm -hmm. was a complete decimation. We're talking about the GOAT. What was a GOAT performance? Like, the complete trampling of that field. And the complete stomping on center court at Wimbledon in that final. Where Mm -hmm. I saw that she won that one game... (laughs) <laughs> and then the, and then I was like, here she comes. And then you get to this day, gifs and memes that live on with her crip walking on center court at Wimbledon. The mm. power that that has. The international importance that that has. Uh, we're talking about an icon and a goat. And that met the moment for me. Answering this question also necessarily should take into account for a fan things that are more personally meaningful for you and I'm sure that's the case for a lot of people mm-hmm. but for me that was that that that's that's it and then the most disappointing I can't look past 2015 yeah partly because and, it coincides with the first year of this the, podcast the US Open you're talking yeah 2015 US Open it coincides with the first year of this podcast what would the life of this show have looked like not only might it have changed tennis history or added to her history in tennis, it might have changed the course of the show as well. Oh, yeah. It's a real sliding doors moment. Uh, and I don't even want to talk about it. So I'm going to respectfully decline to answer the disappointing question because I don't want to end on a sour note. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thanks for listening. <laughs> My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. We will come to you again at the denouement at the finish line of madrid your second Mm -hmm. favorite tournament which will be like seven or eight days after now right Mm -hmm. you can find everything body serve related at linktree.com slash the body serve thanks for listening till next time thank you thank you very much